Hello and welcome to Developing the Leader Within Podcast, an award-winning podcast where I interview the top players in the leadership arena and we dissect leadership, management, and career development from all angles. My name is Enrique Acosta-Gonzalez and I use my more than 20 years of experience in leadership development to dig deep into complex issues and bring you the answers you were looking for. If a topic resonates with you and you would like to explore how to overcome it, reach out to me at calendly.com backslash triad leadership solutions to discuss ways to succeed. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. Today, we are speaking with Yvonne Austin. Yvonne is the CEO and founder of Indelible Impressions Consulting, LLC. She is an award-winning businesswoman and entrepreneur and believes that each individual and organization has the ability and should have the opportunity to make an impact on their own indelible impression. Yvonne, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Enrique. I'm so honored that you selected me to be a part of this, and I'm really excited for this discussion today. The honor is mine to have you. Every year I pick out 52 guests because of your background and expertise <laughs> and what we're going to be talking about today, which is bridging understanding. Folks, there's a lot of understanding out there that needs to have happened and today we're going to hopefully bring you to a closer step into bridging that with your folks. But before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about you. So about me, well, you've already premised uh, indelible impressions and part of what we do. I would say for myself, uh, one facet of me is that I don't believe that one size fits all approach to anything in life or business. Um, there are no monoliths, I would say, in one's identity, in their personal or political beliefs, or even values to an organization or business. Um, I believe that each of us are intersectional beings with layers that deserve to exist, to be recognized and unharnessed by social systems that have historically been aimed to marginalize or oppress. Um, I'm also, I would say an unapologetically authentic individual. Um, and that doesn't mean that I just am a bull in a China shop. Um, it means that I really just exist in every environment with full authenticity. And that's really what I want for others too. That's a, that's wonderful. And I appreciate, you know, you living the multi-layered life and, and mm. owning that because a lot of people cannot. Yeah. Uh, and that makes yeah. you a gem among the, the, <laughs> the treasure box. And, and so thank you for doing that. And I hope that every listener out there considers how they can become uh, that, that person for themselves in, in whatever way and shape that they have been uh, led to. Yes. I wanted to ask you because not, uh, you know, the culture and DEI space is specific. So yes. what led you to this realm and this arena of work? So I spent 22 years in corporate America, um, spanning across different industries and geographies. And yet from organization to organization, the experiences were like eerily similar. 
um, myself, among other folks of historically marginalized identities and backgrounds, we're consistently dealing with the same things over and over again, right? So lack of respect for our identities, our bodies, our intellect and our capabilities, um, being kept in a box and gatekeeping access to decision-making rooms, right? Or the lack of opportunities for growth and success and being a part of, a true part of the talent pipeline. Um, and, and also I think organizations using things like culture fit and cultural supremacy in a way to sometimes intentionally, but many times unintentionally for their harm and limit uh, people of difference, right? People of color and their ability to thrive. So for me, having had those experiences as well as the pandemic and a series, to be honest, of familial passings and losses really started to make me question if I was using my purpose, that which I felt inherently designed for, um, whether or not I was living that life, right? Like, was I really doing what was most meaningful and most joyous and purpose for me in a, in a way that was authentic and unharnessed for all that I could be, right? Why was I continuing to have these experiences where I was doing really well in organizations and I'm climbing the ladder and I'm making the money, but when I'm putting head to pillow at night, I don't feel successful, right? I don't feel whole and entire. And I will also say, and very much unapologetically, that as a woman of faith, these were the questions that God had dropped into my heart and mind. And my truthful answer to God was no, but I'm about to get on that like yesterday. <laughs> and so that's what I did. Um, I resigned from my corporate position. I launched Indelible Impressions as a solopreneur. Um, and now we're a team of eight across the U.S. serving for-profit, non-profit, paramilitary, and school system clients. And I will also say that because of that authenticity, because of my desire to pursue purpose over the societal trappings and norming of success, that now I am the most focused, creative, innovative, successful, and whole person that I've ever been. Um, and I, I just, I have to tell you, Enrique, I so want that for other people, right? This, this work helps me, my team, and those lives that we touch help to achieve that. So that's why I'm in this space. That's why I created Indelible Impressions Consulting. Um, not just so we could make indelible impressions upon those we engage with, but so that people could begin to evolve themselves and make their own indelible impressions across the workplace, across the communities that they live, work, and, and play in. Well, if there's anything that came about the pandemic period was a revealing of purpose or not. And yes. there was a period where folks exited the workplaces, mm. 
They dubbed it a name, Great Resignation. We always like to package things. Oh, so it has to have some type of title. Happy names. Right? Yeah, so that you can hinge your, your hat on it. And um, But that period was a true testing of purpose. And a lot of people came to the realization that they were not living that purpose. Yeah. Uh, and they started looking for it. Yeah, and I'm one of them uh, by loss of work that mm-hmm. you trying to say, okay, Lord, what's this about? And mm-hmm. oh, by the way, where are we headed? And talking yes. about where are we headed mm-hmm. as a military person mm-hmm. that is witness to Thank all the news and things, <laughs> my honor. Um, we're, we're witnessing news. We're witnessing things about our government. We're seeing sites that are never, have never been seen before in our nation. We're hearing about abuse of authority on this level, abuse of authority on that level. And so I will tell you that it is disheartening, uh, as a person that has had served, uh, to defend certain Mm -hmm. freedoms to see those freedoms being taken advantage of by the same people that you went out to defend. But where are we uh, in the United States Yeah, in these areas of culture DEI? Because what I've witnessed has been a more of a dismantling of norms and things that would unite us than the things that would unite us. So much to unpack with that, right? I come from a long line of uh, those who have served in the military. Um, Unbeknownst to a lot of people, my father was the uh, first African-American to serve at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington, Virginia, and was among the first 100 command sergeant majors, uh, black command sergeant majors in the military. Um, I have siblings who have served as well. My husband is an army veteran. So um, when I say thank you for your service, it is more than just a phrase for me. Um, I understand the head, the heart, the body, the whole being of the soldier that has committed themselves to the cause and the oath for which they took. So I just want to say that, and I would love it if our country could get on that that same pathway to the level of respect that should be there for those who have served in our military, those who are currently serving, and even for those who are willing to answer the call. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that right there. So thank you again, Enrique. Where are we? Oof. We are a hot mess, (laughs) being transparent. We are a hot mess. There's a lot going on. As you know, and as we've kind of uh, had conversations, kind of the meeting before the meeting, right? Um, I like to use data to support my position on things. And so I like to go to resources like McKinsey and Company and Gallup and Deloitte and all of that. And so as it relates to DEI, Um, A 2021 Gallup Center poll on Black voices finds that, for example, only 13% of Black women strongly agree that they have access to good jobs in their community and in workplaces. 
and over just over a third say that they're living comfortably on their present income. Why is that? Well, data has shown consistently over the years that oftentimes, for example, Black women are literally making a third of what white men make. And over the course of their lifetime, that can add up to approximately almost a million dollars of lost wages over their lifetime. Almost a million dollars in that pay gap and in that disparity. And when we think about that cyclically, when we think about that generation after generation, and we start to talk about uh, historical disparities among cultures, that is a part of the reason why. And that has not changed significantly in the last few years to really put Black families on par in terms of the existing wealth gap and disparities that exist between Black and white communities. So that's one data point. Also, according to a Deloitte U.S. Workforce Headcount Report, and that was fiscal year 2022, it's heartening that each category of race has increased. Um, however, the smallest spread of improvement, though, continue to be Native Americans, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders, and Hispanic and Latin communities and demographics. So there's that. Um, and I will say what I have realized being in this space as well is that while there are a lot of declarations of improvement, many organizations continue to struggle with creating an equitable and inclusive talent pipeline, engaging and retaining talent, especially women. And when we talk about the great resignation, which I prefer if I'm gonna put a label on it, uh, refer to it as a great reflection for some of the points that you yourself articulated that women playing this double duty oftentimes in the home with family, that they both uh, extend themselves working, caregiving and, and caretaking of the home and requirements if there are children in the home, school-age children in the home, and we're kind of wearing those double duty hats of being teacher and supporter for online learning, as well as upholding responsibilities in the workplace, um, and then on the home front, but all kind of encapsulated in this single environment, right? Um, and being kind of the emotional housekeepers of workplace trauma and, and issues that were happening as resulting from the pandemic, being that sounding board for organizations, right? Um, that's all encapsulated in, in that, ensuring opportunities for the disability community. We're still not seeing enough employers understanding the importance of the disability community in their diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts um, and prioritizing that community in their workforce. <clears throat> and then certainly prioritizing pay equity in order to close the gaps between 
the identification of women and men, as well as across the spread of ethnic and racial identities. So that's kind of where we're at in a snapshot and and what needs to be worked on. Now, I want to pivot to the positive, right? Because I think it's really important, especially in this space, it's easy for people to get disheartened by what we're not seeing happen. Um, But I want to encourage folks that this is what's happening. My team and I are very inspired by the conversations and the engagements that we're having with various organizations um, about the work that they're contracting and willing to do to change the employee experience as well as community experience, right? You're seeing a lot of ESG work where people are understanding that it's not just the environment, right? That it used to be with social responsibility and sustainability, but more so the community, right? How organizations are engaging with communities within their ecosystem in the workplace, but the surrounding community in which they function. Um, And so that's been really inspiring and encouraging. We still have a ways to go, but uh, I'd like to say, and, and it's very apropos, I think coming off of MLK Day, as well as heading into Black History Month, that much like the civil rights era, we know that it's gonna take years Um, But if we stay committed to the steady pace that it'll take to bring about real change, I think we can still see it within our lifetime. I'd like to see it in my lifetime. And that's my personal challenge to myself and my commitment to uh, organizations and really the world, if I'm being honest, like that's what I plan to do with the remaining days of my life. Well, world impact is a mild challenge, <laughs> but it starts with a, <laughs> with that first step, right? Because everybody wants the best for themselves, right? Yeah. It, it, that's categorized in different ways or detailed in different ways, but the best is wanted. And a lot of times uh, there are missteps in how they get there. But Mm -hmm. hey, I encourage anybody going down this improvement of culture and the D, E, and I component of your world that you take the first step, right? Take the first step. We're talking about understanding, right? Bridging an understanding takes a first step. Now, I know leaders have a huge impact on the benefits and also how this actually gets employed. But I also see a lot of areas where there is no headway, either because of the mentality around what it is, the misunderstanding about what it is, the purpose, because some people have a purpose not to uh, get this going. But So where are the choke points from your point of view in regards to leaders with culture DE&I? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I love how you articulated that. I would say leadership, mid-level and top of the house is where we see some of the biggest barriers. I think that when we talk treetop to roots, as we do at Indelible, it's about board of directors, senior leadership, you know, mid-level all the way down to your individual contributors. But oftentimes I think 
one of the choke points in organizations is that sometimes leadership views that, well, this is at the staff level, right? And so let's get the staff level kind of dealt with. Let's impart this at the staff level. And it's like, well, it's important, number one, that everybody owns DEI. It can't manifest, be sustainable or successful unless everybody's got skin in the game and everybody's responsible to develop it, to grow it and to sustain it, right? And again, that's treetop to roots. Um, so leaders need to do exactly what is the basis of that term. They need to lead. They need to lead the way. They need to do this by number one, getting beyond the transactional nature of employment and getting to the heart of the company, which is the people, right? Valuing them first and foremost, because these people have chosen to commit their time, their energy, and their intellect to your company. So value that and acknowledge that, right? Well beyond what they do and their contributions to your bottom line. Um, I would also say a choke point is being performative, right? Saying that you're on this journey, wanting to come across to the outside world, outside of your business walls, to everyone else in the world that you're prioritizing this and it's important to you. And yet your organization inside the walls is a hot mess and you've got the posters up and you've got the DEI committee and the ERGs and all of this. And maybe you're having one or two courageous conversations a year and you really think you're doing something to create change. And it's like, no, there's a difference between having conversations and creating change. And while communication is a fundamental component of change, you can't just talk the talk and not walk the walk or have action that actually supports the conversations. Um, so that's another choke point. And then one thing that I'm being very, my team and I are being very intentional about in 2023, not to say that we weren't before, but we're kind of clicking it up a couple notches, is getting leaders to have both capability and desire to be more authentic, vulnerable, and transparent in building meaningful relationships with their employees. And what that requires is talking to them and not just at them, um, engaging with them in ways through mentorship and sponsorship of them, um, being honest about your own journey as a leader. What scares you? Where did you trip and fall? What has the past year or maybe some of the areas that you haven't been so successful at as a leader, um, what that's been like for you? Um, some of the challenges and antiquated thinking that perhaps governed your leadership style when you first started, but now with where we're at in society for some of the things that you mentioned yourself, Enrique, right? That they're having to... Uh, unlearn, relearn, put more, more tenacity and, and intention and impact behind things, how they're growing. I think that people are more inclined to not just connect, but tether themselves 
to leaders who are willing to do those things. I think that that's a huge factor for growth and retention overall. And I, I also would like to encourage leaders that if you want innovation, look within the treasure chest of your existing organization and beyond your current rank for ideas and brilliance and tenacity to succeed. Um, but in order to acknowledge that and tap into that, you got to be aware of it, which means you have to talk to your people. You have to engage with your people, right? And that's got to be, um, if you will, below your rank, right? To understand the people that are serving you, the people that are serving your customers or clients, the people that are serving the community in which you exist, um, and the value of that. That's a very powerful uh, mandate for leaders to consider. It starts with you as a leader to not only initiate a change, because sometimes those changes are initiated at another level, but to take that initiative, whatever it is that your company would like to see come to fruition and lead, yeah. right? Leaders yes. lead, as my friend Tony would say, um, and and we were talking prior to this about mm. a specific reading I had last night uh, from a biblical text where it stipulated that the, the there was a unity of mind, mm. and that unity of mind led to the ultimate success of the event that they were partaking. And so uh, what I see a lot of times is that there are mandates, but there is no unity of mind. And mm. a lot of times we wonder why success is not coming through these programs, through these initiatives, through these practices and activities. But I think a lot of time that that bridge is not there. So how does a company begin to bridge, bridge their understanding on these issues and bring unity of mind to their people. Oof. Um, I love that too. <laughs> is fabulous. Um, I will pivot to something that is at the core and the heartbeat of indelible impressions. And that is coming to our clients with a strong head and heart approach. And I think we feel strongly, we know that it requires both, right? Not just to intellectualize DEI and change, but to crack open the heart spaces of how people feel about themselves, how they feel about difference, how they feel about uh, their colleagues and the work and the mission of the organization overall. It requires that. And I think that in order for any change to be successful, I mean, we see this in our personal lives, right? I'll use my relationship, uh, just a, a quick pivot. I'll use my relationship with my spouse, with my husband, right? It's one thing if I ask him to change a particular behavior and I give him all the intellectual aspects of and all the facts right? As to why that's important. He's going to get that. He's going to digest that and be like, okay, all right. I see it. I get it. You're right. 
what I have seen prove out over the course of our, our relationship, our courting, our marriage, uh, 10 years in, is sometimes that ends up being an acknowledgement in the moment. But in terms of long-term change, not always there. But when I humanize it, and when he sees me and my heart, and the impact of actions or inactions, and that touches him in a deeper way, and there's that shared compassion and empathy between us, then that is becomes embedded in a different kind of way that I dare say stores in the memory bank a little bit deeper, a little bit wider, a little bit more accessible, right? And that is the pivot that occurs within the individual, right? That causes the person to really change, not just perspective, but behaviors and actions. And so I believe, and my team believe, and there's a lot of data out there to support this, that it is getting to the head and hearts. It is getting on that one accord that you're talking about, right? To bridge the gap within individuals in a given setting that moves them from, yeah, that sounds great. And you'll get verbal commitments to it versus now this changes my heart space. This changes how I feel. And now when I look at you or I engage with you, that becomes a governing concept. That becomes who I am and thereby extends unto you. And so now we are not just connected by the workplace and we're just not connected by being colleagues in what we do. But now we're connected in a way in our humanity that tethers us and that makes me want to know you, want to understand you, want to bridge any impasses and misunderstandings that we might have interpersonally. Um, and that's what it takes. That's a great approach. And leaders, I encourage you to ask this question on your daily endeavors as leaders, mm. where am I not connected to my people? Yeah. Those are the areas of deep impact because you, you, what you mentioned is so right. Mm. There are opportunities to connect in many layers of an organization, right? You can connect yeah. by your position. You can connect by policy. You can connect by norms, by the way the climate is set. Yeah. But there is no connection to your people like a heart-centered connection. And so I encourage and implore <laughs> almost yes. uh, leaders to to look at that. Look at that and, and mm -hmm. see where you can find the areas to continue to bridge um, areas where you can become more understanding. Maybe they can become more understanding of your obligations and things that uh, you carry because the leader towards the employee and team members. Yes. It also has to be, hey, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but these are the challenges I have 
And so That's how can right. we collaborate into uh, uh, minimizing the impact to both? And, and, and you will see a lot of growth come that way. I agree. There has to be reciprocity in the relationship. One thing that Indelible encourages leaders sometimes in their efforts, right, is in the mentoring space. And historically, I will say for myself, um, I'm fast approaching 50. And um, in my, my, you know, earlier years, entering the workforce after college and so forth, mentorships were very much a one-way street. It was, let me, the seasoned individual, school you, rookie, on uh, what you don't know and what these ropes are in the uh, organization or corporate environment. Now, what is required is that reciprocity I just spoke of. Mentorships should be duly beneficial and it should be that both people, the leader and the mentee, the mentor and the mentee, right? Have an exchange that elevates them both, where both can grow and learn. And I think that that's something really important for leaders to know is that you too need to develop again and again and again in your knowledge, in your leadership style, in what employees want and need today versus what they want and needed. Hey, let's just say it, pre-pandemic, what was wanted and needed was very different from what is wanted and needed today. Leaders better have their ear to the ground. And the one of the ways that you do that in a meaningful, intentional way is to engage in mentorship with others. Um, we have worked with leaders where we've said, hey, let's team you up with a person. And how about you do a book club together? You decide and choose a book and you read together and you kind of do this smaller setting book club dynamic. And then you go around this table and share on perspectives, et cetera, right? That is one small way in which you can engage more deeply and you can start to bridge the difference of position, perspective, responsibilities and accountabilities, right? And that both people benefit from that relationship on an interpersonal level and on a professional growth level as well. Now, folks, I tell you that these last four years, have been a mark in our lives that we probably would soon love to forget, but we can't because this is, this is what has defined our trajectory at this point, yes. the future five years, let's say coming up, we just don't know, right? Yeah. There are still things going on uh, COVID wise in the world that America has kind of like quickly forgotten about. Uh, but I'll tell you, China is still dealing with a huge mess in yeah. terms of COVID. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've kind of like moved on from that news, but that's our culture, right? Unless it's like the <laughs> hottest thing, we don't uh, uh, keep our ear to it or our eyes on it. But where yeah. do you see us in five years, let's say, with our efforts to, to bridge uh, our collective understanding about the roles and cultures of DEI, our nation. Progress, I hope, 
Um, that's what I'm here. That's what I'm about. Outcomes are very important and not just the data, the qualitative aspects of it, but as you and I have talked about the quantitative and the qualitative, right? How are we moving the needle on pay disparity? How are we move and, and fair pay? How are we moving the needle on making sure that people have the critical benefits that they need for how they identify? And I think that DEI, as much as we talk about it being threaded through every area of the organization, I think in five years, I would love to see it so very embedded in the organizations that there is no area, not a single solitary function or operational area of the organization that diversity, equity, and inclusion does not live or is not championed and proliferates through, right? What we do and how we do it. Um, I, I would like to see in five years, oh, I'd like to see not just growth in the industry, because right now there's certainly a boom that has happened because of some of the social injustice movements, uh, as well as um, what's going on in society and the implications of the pandemic, the long-term implications of the pandemic and how that highlighted further disparities in particular communities uh, that are vulnerable. Um, but I would say, you know, to the to the extent that it's possible within organizations to stop having diversity, equity, and inclusion be this afterthought, be focused only in ERGs, or you have one person, a one-person team that you're staffed with that is supposed to create this groundswell of change and ripple effect through an entire thousand, multi-thousand person organization, and yet they do not have the support, they do not have the resources. And I'm not just talking about people. Um, and quite frankly, I, I hate to use the terminology of people akin to resources because the definition of a resource is something you can use up and replace. And we should never be thinking about people or humans that way. So uh, a hint to leaders and HR people, let's stop using the term human resources. <laughs> But the resources in terms of dollars and investment in doing that, understanding both the human case as well as the business case for DEI and how that benefits employee uh, attraction, talent attraction, employee satisfaction, engagement, retention, and overwhelming loyalty that can stand the test of time and uh, economic turbulence, as we've seen through and resulting in part from the pandemic. So I'd like to see it at the forefront. I'd like to see a level up in organizations that uh, CDOs uh, and, and chief change officers are inherently at every single decision-making table for the organization and carry as much weight and impact and respect as the CEO and everyone else that exists in the C-suite.
That's a great uh, five-year wish, and I also echo that. I would love to see all those things come to fruition and implemented on a daily, not as a task, but as a norm. As you know, these these are life norms that need to happen. Can't mandate folks that own their own businesses <laughs> to do yeah. whatever it is that, that we would like to see, but it is a good thing to focus on and maybe endeavor for the next five years. I, I love that. If you had a leader in front of you and, and you could tell, and you could tell I do. them. <laughs> you, you are. Do, you do. You are, I have a leader in front of me. We all lead in different ways. So yes, what would I say to Enrique? Go ahead, ask the question, because this one's for you and everybody listening. Well, what would you say, what would you tell a leader that you would like to see them focus on in terms of you mentioned championing right and there's a lot of ways you can champion i am from the policy making piece where i mm -hmm. would like to see your policies reflect your desire right and so there's a lot of policies that go contrary to these efforts and programs that you say you want to do yeah. so your policy doesn't match so i would like to see that but what would you tell a you know a leader like me that you would like to see them ingest into this uh, world of culture and DNA. I'm going to pivot slightly back to something I said earlier around uh, authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. I would like to see them really leaders like yourself, leaders like me, leaders out in in the world understand that that is a strength and not a weakness that you don't may not understand the ripple effect in a positive way of what that can do to bridge understanding to bridge relationship to bridge commitment within your organizations um if you keep it real with your people your people will keep it real with you and that poises you best to lead in the now as well as in the future. And so policies and processes and normalizing what should be, absolutely. Let's also get to normalizing some of the aspects that I just talked about um, because they pay, that you will learn and enjoy a significant return on investment for the investments that you make in those ways. And I dare say, and pay out dividends that you might not expect over the long term. Very well stated, folks. We are just touching on the surface, really. <laughs> All the work that needs to be done or would like we would like to see come about uh, this specific topic covered today. Uh, now, Yvonne, uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, your company, how would they go about that? Sure. I appreciate that. Um, so it's Indelible Impressions Consulting. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, you can go out to our website, www.indelible-consulting.com. Uh, you can learn more about myself, our team, our approach um, as well to this work, that head and heart approach that I spoke of earlier. 
Um, and there's a form on there if you have some interest, whether that's speaking, a full DEIB program, uh, ERG or, or task force frameworks and setups. Uh, we offer a host of services and we have an amazing, beautiful, uh, diverse team uh, that is comprised of folks with amazing professional and lived experiences that are allowing us to really get into organizations. And as we like to say, not just get under the hood, but get all up in your chassis to create real meaningful change um, that changes not just the org, but the person um, in a positive way. So yeah, we welcome anyone reaching out, getting in touch with us. And uh, we'd love to be able to help as many organizations as possible on this journey. Now we're going to have that as part of the show notes and video so you can get a hold of Yvonne and her company. Yvonne, thank you so much for sharing this time with me and the subject matter really touching. And I hope that it has touched everyone out there listening. So today's episode is sponsored by Triad Leadership Solutions and Superpass, which are powering our website and app, Southern Sweet and Sassy Coffee and Harchester, London. If you've enjoyed this episode and learned something about the topic covered today, make sure to subscribe and let us know by leaving a comment right now. And we're always looking for new ideas and guests that can add to our show. So if you know someone uh, or have a topic that you would like for me to cover uh, or want to be featured on the podcast or sponsor the show, we'd love to hear about it by sending us an email at triadleadershipsolutions at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode where we dissect leadership from another angle. And as we like to end the show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Triad Leadership Solutions and on Twitter at TLS underscore FL. Thanks again. I'll see you next week and success to you.